Well, I've entitled this morning's message, Real Love, because so many of us have a skewed idea of what love really is. We, we get this idea when we, and, and this, you guys are cheating, nobody read that, did you? Trying to get ahead. I'm watching you guys. But we have this idea in our head that, that somehow... And in this society, not anybody in this church, because I know you guys got your heads on straight, but in this society, we have this idea that, that love is, is just a feeling. It's something that, you know, it's those butterflies in your chest. Or even worse, you know, we, we, we use the word, we so overuse the word that we've completely lost what it means. How many of you guys love pizza? You see, we love pizza. If you think about that, yeah, you know, Pizza's stupid. I actually hate it because I do so good when I eat stuff, but pizza comes around and my like shut off switch just goes away and like I eat to like like I'm almost throwing up. Pizza's dumb. But I love it. But uh <laughs> so we say stuff like that. We say, Oh, I love pizza or, or you know, people are really messed up, they say stuff like, I love the cowboys. And uh <laughs> <laughs> but they they use this word love when it doesn't it not doesn't we, we use it in a different way than what it actually means. Real love is different than I just really, really like something. Or you guys you guys know anybody cowboy fans in here? So did you know you can so I, I was in a, in a restroom one time, and you guys have ever seen, we call them butt gaskets when I worked in a restaurant. You know those little pieces of paper that you pull out, put over the toilet? Somebody had wrote free Dallas cowboy hats on that dispenser. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me, I promise. <laughs> but, uh, man, you guys are messed. Where am I at? The point of today is to share with you what real love actually is, because that's not what real love is. Really, really, really liking somebody, something or somebody is not real love. Real love in today's society, I mean, they tell us, they tell us that if, in order to love somebody, we have to agree with them. It's, if you don't agree with somebody, you obviously hate them. That's actually the, the, uh, the message of today, that if you disagree with somebody, then you hate them. And that's just simply not, that's not the way love works. We also, uh, you know, we're, the truth is that some of us have probably never even seen real love. Or we've seen it so rarely that we, we, it, we don't even catch the, what it is. Our idea of what love is, is is on, you know, what we see on TV. Or like I said, these ideas of what we really, really like. But I want you to know that real love is nothing like that. Real love is sacrificial. Real love is a decision. It's like when you're married, you know, love is good. Having those, those, those love feelings, you know, the butterflies, you know, those are awesome, but those won't keep you married. It's a choice to continue loving, even when times are tough, even when times are hard, even when you just want to, stuff's not great. And we, you know, you got to choose to love and keep going on. Because it's sacrifice. Real love puts somebody else above itself always. 
And the reality is, is that the only reason that we can even love is because he first loved us. But today, I want to look at things a little different because we all know the story of the cross. We all know that, that Jesus gave his life for us. But I want to look at stuff that was kind of going up to the cross and even after the cross. I want to show you that as Jesus went on that journey, that it wasn't just on the cross where he expressed his love. But you see, his amazing love expressed over and over and over again. So the first verse that I want to look at this morning is Luke twenty-two forty-one through 44. And it says, he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So here's where we are in the story right now. Jesus is in the garden. He's praying. He's getting ready to start that journey. He's getting ready to be, to be pulled out of here. They're going to put him on trial. And we all know that that is just a farce. It's a, it's a mock trial. He's going to be tortured and he's going to be executed. And Jesus has an idea of what's about to befall him. He's you know, he's, he, he's still a man. He's 100% God, but 100% man. He set aside his deity. He, he doesn't know all the details, I don't believe, but he knows what's coming. And he just asked four of his, of his closest disciples to say, hey, I'm going to go over here. Just a, it, the, the scripture says a stone's throw away. Even if you got a good arm, that's not that far. And he says, I'm going to go over here. If you guys would just remain awake, if you would just remain alert and pray with me. And he goes and he begins to pray and he begins to say, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. If there is any way else, God, please take I don't want to go through this. And he's, he's going through intense agony because he knows what's about to come. And he ends up facing this temptation alone because every time he goes back, his disciples couldn't be bothered to stay awake and pray with him, which I find interesting because I imagine they could hear what he was going through. I'm not sure a stone's throw is not that far. And I've, I've, I've talked to people that have been where this garden is. This garden's not that big. Yet they're falling asleep. They're not. He's in distress. He's in pain. He knows what's about to come. And he says, Father, please take this cup from me. And, you know, in retro, it's obvious why he wants his cup taken away. We know what's, he knows what's going to happen. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be in extreme pain and agony. He's going to be murdered. And he's going to have to take the weight of all of our sins, all of our inequity, all of our punishment, everything that we deserved, he takes upon himself. And then I often, I, I think about this story and, and we all think to ourselves, man, Jesus is having a rough time. But then I wonder, what is God the Father going through at this moment? Because his son is crying out, Dad, if there's anything else that can be done, would you please do it? And God, because of his love for us, says, no, son, this is how it's got to be. But can you imagine what God, I mean, I couldn't imagine if my son was crying out, he's about to be tortured or in pain. He says, says Dad, save me. And having to deal with that request, with that pain, I've said it before, and if I was God, we'd be in a different situation right now. Because I would have pulled my son out of there in a heartbeat so he wouldn't have had to go through what he was about to go through. And some people like to think, wow, that's, that's kind of harsh of God. You know, who, who would send their son to do this 
to do this very thing. I mean, this is what kind of God would send his son to the cross. But something that we often forget when we talk about this is that, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Not only is, is, he, is, is one God in three different persons, we have God the Father and God the Son, but this was God himself stepped off the throne, set aside deity. God died for you and paid the price for you. We see it in different persons, but it is still one God who gave up his life. And he did it because he loves you so much. And then Jesus, because of what's coming up, he's so distressed. The scripture says that that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And the the way this is worded, it can mean a couple of different things. It can mean that, that... that he was sweating so profusely that the drops coming from him were falling like great drops of blood. But there's also a condition that, uh, let's see if I can find where I wrote it down here because I'm not paying attention to my notes. It's called hematidrosis or something like that. That's kind of how it's pronounced. But basically it's this idea that, that the blood vessels in your tear ducts and in your, and your head can begin to burst and the blood mixes with your tears. You can literally have tears of blood. And that's usually caused by great distress. Great, Jesus is not having a good time of it right now. Yet what, is his, what are the words that he says? He says, not my will but yours be done. Jesus is willing to go through whatever it takes for you and I. He says that I love you so much that I am willing to set aside whatever may happen to me. I'm willing to deal with whatever comes my way to make sure that you're taken care of, to make sure that this is what real love looks like. A willingness to give up everything for the person that you love. In Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you guys know that you're the joy that was set before him? His love for you made it so he could go on, that he could endure anything because his love for you was that great. And you want to know what's crazy? Is that he went ahead and did this knowing that many people would not receive this free gift. God was not caught unaware, yet he was still willing to pay the price, pay the sins for everyone in the entire world knowing that many would not even receive that free gift of salvation, that newness of life. But I want you to know this morning, we're talking about real love, a sacrificial love, a love that's willing to endure everything because of you, that you are the beloved, you are his joy. Amen? In Luke twenty-two forty-seven through 51, as we're going to go ahead and kind of follow the timeline a little bit here, it says, uh, Luke 22, verse 47, says, While he was still speaking, there came a crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. And he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what, he, saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. 
Now, one of the things you're asking yourself right now is like, how does this have anything to do with the love of Jesus? How does this demonstrate his love in any way? But the, I want you to take a second and imagine the situation that's happening right now. We have Jesus with his, with his disciples. And they are fishermen. They're tax collectors. They're just regular guys. And we have Judas showing up. He's got some of the priests with him, and they've basically brought soldiers with them. Anybody ever seen the movie 300? You can admit it. I won't, I won't get it. You saw the movie 300? Just kidding. I'm totally talking to you afterwards now. That's not a good movie. <laughs> Do you remember that part in the movie when Leonid, King Leonidas is talking to those farmers who said, we'll come and fight with you? And he says, what's your profession? I'm a farmer. I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a merchant. I'm a, I, you know, I'm a herder. I do all these things. And he turns to his soldiers and he says, what's your profession? And they scream out, well, they're soldiers. They're trained to fight. They're trained to kill. That's what they... So imagine this situation. We got Jesus there with his, with his farmers and fishermen and tax collectors. And we have Judas showing up with the priest and he's got soldiers with him. These are people that are trained to fight. And they're ready to do what needs to be done if Jesus resists. And how many know that Je- we just saw how distressed Jesus was? And he's, he said, you know what, I'm going to go through with it. But there's still part of him, because he is 100% man that's thinking, man, is there still another way? Can I get out of this? And he has the opportunity to let his disciples go forward and begin to fight and likely get killed. And he could, in the chaos, he could have just, he could have made it away. He could have ran. He could have gotten away. He could have survived even longer. But he, he doesn't. He says, no, put your swords away. He stops them from fighting, even though it could have meant him getting out of, at least at this time, getting out of what he's going through. He tells his, his disciples, his friends, put your swords away. I don't want anything to happen to you. Even in the face of what's going to come to him, he still expresses his love towards his followers. And then he goes ahead, and, and Peter gets a little, a, a little head. You know, if you ever watch what Peter, as he goes through, he's always a little overzealous. He's always doing crazy stuff. I mean, he's the one that's like, is that you, Jesus? Tell me to come out and steps out on the water. He's, he's always a, a little overzealous. He's getting ahead of things. And at this point, the, 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 the servant, the priest servant shows up, and, and I don't know what it says that Peter didn't go after one of the soldiers. He went after one of the servants, and he cuts his ear off. And Jesus immediately reattaches the ear. And part of that is because, hey, we're fixing things. We don't want this battle to break out. I don't want my followers to be getting killed or hurt. I love them, and I want them to remain healthy. But even for this who could potentially be viewed as the enemy, Jesus heals his ear, and you're like, well, why, why is that? Did you know that this, this priestly servant, who is likely not a Levite, so he's not serving in the temple, but he is one of the priest's servants. And had he had a main body part like that ear, he would have never been able to serve in the capacity that he was serving. He would not have been allowed to serve in the sanctuary. His life would have basically been ruined by that. And Jesus heals him and restores him. Even what could potentially be viewed as one of his enemies, Jesus still expresses love in light of what's about to happen. One of the most horrific things that's ever happened is about to happen, yet Jesus still expresses his love to not only his disciples, but those around him. 
At the end of that, he said, but Jesus said no more of this, and he touched the ear and healed him. That's where that was. In Mark 15, 21 through 23, it says, And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. This is another one where you're going, how does this demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ? So Jesus has now been falsely tried. He has been scourged. He's been whipped. He's he's bloody and beaten and bruised. He's had the crown of thorns shoved onto his head. He's in extreme pain, and he has a bar strapped to his back, tied to his arms. This beam, the scholars say, weighs somewhere between 75 and 125 pounds. And he's already probably to the point of, of his body's in shock. He can't walk, and, he, and he's, he's, he's falling. He can't walk. Now, something you've got to think about this that you may never have thought of is, is, what happens when you fall? What do you normally do? What do you try to break your fall with? Your hands. What happens when your hands are tied to a wooden post? It's likely that every time he fell, his face smashed into the ground. He's in extreme pain. He's hurting. And he can't walk anymore, so they have Simon here carry the the beam for him. And then when he gets there, it says they offered him a wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Do you guys know what myrrh is? Myrrh is actually a narcotic. It was used, the, 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 the women of the time, and depending on who you read, some would say that the, the pious women would create this wine mixed with myrrh. Um, some say that even the soldiers would make this wine mixed with myrrh because the, if you think about what's about to go on, and I'm actually going to give you a lot more detail of what crucifixion looks like, but these soldiers had to stay and listen to the screams and pains of these men that are up on the cross, so they would try to get them to take a painkiller so that it would be easier for them. They didn't have to hear the screaming. But it was, it was given to victims of this punishment to help deaden the pain because it's an excruciating pain that they're feeling. But Jesus refused. Anybody ever wondered why Jesus refused? Because the Scripture said He was to take our entirety iniquity upon Himself. He intended to be in full possession of His faculties as He did the work that God called Him to do. He didn't want to take any shortcuts. It wasn't about making it easier. He was dealing with the full brunt of our sin, our shame, all of that stuff. He was taking upon himself, and he could have took a shortcut. But because of his love for us, he took it all so that we could be made free, that we could be forgiven, that we could be made whole. And then in Luke 23, 33-34, it says, And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. This was actually prophesied in Isaiah 53, verse 12. This is about 700 years previous to this happening. He says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. He was up on the cross with two murderers. 
and he would make intercession for the transgressors. And that's what he says here. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He begins to... So this very moment was prophesied over 700 years before. And to understand what is going on, the extent of the love that is actually being showed right here, we have to understand what Jesus was going through. Has anybody ever seen The Passion of the Christ? You guys have seen that? That's a movie that I watched once, and I don't intend on watching it again, not because it wasn't good, but because I'd rather not see what the Lord Jesus Christ went through for us. But how many of you know that even that was pale in comparison to what he actually went through? What he went through was so much worse than what they even showed in, in The Passion of the Christ, which is probably the most vivid and realistic of any movie that's ever been made on what has happened. But we need to understand where Jesus is at the time here to understand what kind of an act of love this really is. So remember, we just talked about he had a crown of thorns thrust onto his head. And we're not talking, they didn't set it on his head gently. This thing didn't fit very well. It's got thorns. And they pressed it down and it began to cut into his skull. And has anybody ever been cut on your head? That's a sensitive part of your body. It hurts tremendously. And they jammed this. And this is just, this is probably the best part of what he's going through. And then he gets flogged. And if you know anything, if you've, if you've been around and seen what those whips look like, what they are is they, at the end of the leather throngs of this whip, they attach steel balls. And then on the end of some of them, they, they attach sheep bone. And when they whip, the, the steel balls would, would bruise and the leather would cut. And then with the sheep bones on top of that, it would begin to cut in and rip away the skin and rip away the bones or the muscle. And it would quickly begin to reveal bone, and they begin to whip him and flog him until his back is, is probably unrecognizable. And the amount of pain that this would cause is something that we couldn't even think about. Most scholars think that at this point, your body is probably already entering into a state of shock. It cannot deal with what's going on to your body at this time. And then, like I said, he had to carry the beam of this cross. It's strapped to his back. And he's walking, and this thing is on his back, which is already cut up. And his hands are tied, and every time he missteps because he's exhausted, because of the loss of blood, because his body's in shock, he can't catch himself, and likely his face smashes into the ground. And then he gets there, and he was nailed to the cross. Now, the, the, the way that the, the, the Hebrew culture viewed things, when they say they put nails through his hands... They actually drove him through the wrist because your hand wouldn't actually hold that. It would just cut through your skin. But according to the, to the way Hebrews uh, viewed things, your wrist was all part of your hand. That, there's no confusion there. But they would drill the, the nail through his wrist, and you have a nerve that runs right through the center of your wrist there. It's called the median nerve. And when the nails went through that, it would pierce. It would sever that nerve. Anybody ever cut a nerve before? Anybody ever hit the funny bun on the rail? But you know that feeling, that like electricity through your body? That's like a hint of what that feels like to have that go through. One time, I was at home putting together a, a dog kennel. And I got home. Um, I used to work at a restaurant, so it's like 1 o'clock when I got home after I went to, to Walmart, and we bought a dog kennel, and I'm putting it together. And it's got a... Uh, 
zip ties holding the different pieces of the rack together. And I'm, I'm cutting it with this, this knife my father-in-law had, got, had gotten me, and it was kind of a uh, souvenir-type knife, so not a great knife. It just looked pretty. And I'm cutting with it, and it's not very sharp. And I'm putting the knife blade there, and I'm twisting it. And I noticed the blade's beginning to tweak, and I didn't want to, because that was the easiest way to get them to cut, because it wasn't very sharp. So anyway, I'm cutting through the last one, and the thing's about this wide, and I'm holding it here, and I got a zip tie on this end, and I've got the knife, and I'm pushing really hard to get it to pop the, and finally, I just drive the, it slips, I drive the knife into my hand, I got a nice pretty scar. But I, I hit the nerve when I did that. I cut the nerve, and then actually, to this day, this top half of my finger is still numb and tingly to touch because the nerve hasn't fully grown back together. But when I did that, the pain that went through my body, not because I have no idea if the cut hurt, but hitting that nerve caused me so much pain. And like a, a, I've never felt anything like it before. And it happened and then it stopped. And now he's got a, I have a, a, a small idea of what it feels like to have a nerve hit. But now he's got a nail going through it, and, it's, and he's feeling that every time it moves, every time it twists, every time he falls, every, anything that happens, he's feeling that in his hand. And then on top of that, they lay him down, and then they nail his feet to the cross at about a 45-degree angle. So his legs aren't, in the movies, you see the legs kind of straightened out. No, they're bent at a 45-degree angle. And they, nail, they drive the nail through. And there's also, uh, I think it's called the peroneal nerve, which is the one they hit, hit when they drive through his feet. And they nail him to the cross. So now he's feeling the pain of a nerve being pierced in his wrist, a nerve being pierced in his legs. And then they lift up the cross. And what happens when you lift up the cross is his body begins to sink down. His knees are bent. So, he, you know, he can't just like lock his knees. His knees are bent. And what happens is, is it expands your chest in such a way that you are fully inhaled at all times. And the best you can do is, it's like, have you ever had your, your parents tell you when you're, you're out of breath, raise your hands? Because that expands your lung, your lung capacity and helps you breathe. So what's happening now is he's, 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 he's fully exhaled. I'm sorry, fully inhaled. He can hardly exhale, and they can just take short, shallow breaths. And this is what's happening. I was reading, and they say that, you know, when we see in the movies and we see them on the cross, it's, they, they're usually just kind of sitting there hanging on. But it was actually a very uh, active time on the cross because if they wanted to breathe, they had to push up on their legs and their wrists to collapse their lungs enough so that they could actually get a breath out, and then they could inhale again. So every time they would do that, they wanted to breathe. They had to press up on their legs. And at that point, they're putting pressure on that nail, on the nerve and the feet. And he's pulling up with his arms and he's feeling pressure on that nail. And his back that is completely thrashed and tore up is being rubbed up the back of that cross. And they only stay there for a few minutes because at that point, the pain hurts too much and they drop back down. And then they can't breathe. So they pull back up. And the pain. So this is what Jesus is going through. It's the most excruciating pain that you can ever imagine. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you imagine? Father, for, he's going through that. And his thoughts are on the people that are doing it to him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's what real love looks like, folks, is when even at the cost of extreme pain and suffering, you still 
care about those, even people that are hurting you, you still care about them. We have a hard time when Jesus said, pray for your enemies. He's, he's living that out. Because even though they're going through that, he said, Father, forgive them. And as a result of this prayer, those folks had another 40 years to have an opportunity to repent, to receive Jesus. The reason I went into such great detail on what was happening is because I want you to understand the love that Jesus actually had for each and every one of us. You know, we, we become jaded with it. It becomes just, an, I mean, it's, oh, Easter's fun. Easter's great. And we, we begin to forget what actually happened and the, the, the amount of love for us that it took to even get through all of that. The love that Jesus displayed is unparalleled. Amen? And now he's still on the cross. We'll get there eventually. And in John 19, 25 through 27, it says, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So now Jesus, I just pray. You know, when I read these stories, I'm always amazed at what Jesus is focused on through this whole ordeal. It's never on himself. I just went through what he's going through on the cross. He is dying. He's in pain. Almost all of his disciples have abandoned him. As a matter of fact, the only one near the cross is John, the disciple that he loved. And while he's sitting there, he's going through all of this. He looks out and he sees his mom and his only thought is, I better make sure she's taken care of. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I can be real here for a little bit, when I'm hurting and when I'm in pain, I'm generally only thinking about one person. And that person is me. I'm not generally thinking about what other people are going through, making sure that, because that's, you know, I, I pray that I will continue to grow and become more like Jesus. And if you ask my wife, and particularly if you ask my mom and my sister, I'm becoming more and more like him every day. And I think about others way more often than I ever did before. But still, there's times when I'm hurt, when I'm sick. I'm like, Michelle, can you take care of me? Can you get me some water? Can you? I'm not thinking about her. I'm thinking about her thinking about me. And Jesus is going through the, the, the most horrific thing ever. And he says, hey, take care of my mom. I don't, that blows my mind particularly if you read this in light of what he's actually going through. It's so easy to read this and forget already where he's at. But he, that's, that is what love looks like, folks. That's what love looks like when at the cost, no matter what, you're looking at somebody else. And I don't know about you, but I desire to look like Jesus. This is how I want to live my life and express his love in everything that I do. In Luke 23, 39-43, it says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God, since you are under the same 
Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is now on the cross between two robbers. And if you look at the the, the Greek word here, um, or if you find somebody that has looked at the Greek word here, sometimes I say this stuff like I know this stuff. I just know how to use resources. I don't know Greek. But from what I'm, I've read is if you look at the word that's used here, it's not, we often read it as, as thieves, but it's not like a, a sneak in in the, the middle of the night and a sneak out and nobody knows nothing till they notice something was missing. But the word here indicates that these are, are violent robbers, that they likely killed somebody in their attempt to rob what they're doing. And now, so these men, they're murderers, they're, they're violent, and they're up on the cross. And the reason I want to point this out to you is because so many of us think that we've done something in our lives that there's no way that God could ever forgive us for. That there's no way that, Pastor Wayne, do you know what I've done? There's no way that God could love me. But I want, he's sitting on the cross between two men who are violent robbers. And when the one says, remember me, he says, you will be with me in paradise. This man on that cross, he had no time to make amends for his wrong. He had no time to stand before God. When he was standing before God and before Jesus, there, he, he didn't say, but look at all this good stuff. It, it probably balanced out. There was no time to make amends. He died right there on that cross. But Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise. I want you to know this morning that there is nothing that you have done or you can do that will exclude you from the love of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that is so horrific, that is so terrible, that Jesus is going to say, you went over the line with that one. There is nothing that you could do to exclude yourself from the love of Christ because He does not love you because of what you've done. Jesus loves you in spite of of what you've done. Nothing you can do is bad enough that you would disqualify yourself and there is nothing that you could do that's good enough that would require God to love you. He loves you because He wants to. And we've already looked at what He was willing to give up to you. Give up for you. His own life. He went through all that because of His love for you. And He knew about you when He did it. You were not a surprise to Him. Jesus has been there since the foundation of the world. And he knew, yet he still gave it freely because he loves you. And much like the two that are on this cross right here, these actually represent two different ways that you can interact with Jesus. You can be like the first one and says, are you not the Christ? Save yourself in us. Basically, you can question who He is. You can question His love. You can question His complete and and perfect sacrifice, finished work on the cross. Or you can be like the second one and say, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. You can call out to Him, asking Him into your life. Or you can mock Him and push Him away. And I pray that everyone in this room is like the one who calls him into his life. Because there's nothing that you could do that would disqualify you from his love. 
John 21, 15 through 19, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And this is... Did I miss something here? There is. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you, st- you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow him. Now the reason I wanted to talk about this one today is because we just talked about the people that are concerned with the things that they've done. And they're not not sure that if God could still love them. But as I said, there's nothing that you can do that will make God not love you. And if you're already a Christian this morning and some of this stuff you've heard, this is where you you use this to be able to minister to others as well. Even if this doesn't apply, even if you are saved, you realize that God loves you. This is where you remember these things so you can help guide others into that love. But this is for the, the, the next type of people, and these are the ones that used to serve God, and they gave him everything, and they've already surrendered their life to him. But they realize as they're walking, that they've begun to deny him. And Peter, we already talked about Peter. He was a, a zealous disciple. He loved God. He was all for him. And he was ready. The reason why, 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 why Peter stood up and cut that slave's ear off, and he was because right before that, he said, I'm willing to partake in the cup that you're taking. He said, I am willing to die for you. Peter loved Jesus. But when this all happened, we know the story. He denied him three times. He said, I don't know you. I don't know who he was. No, I wasn't with him. I wasn't following him. And that could be some of us. Where we used to follow him, we used to serve him, but we've slidden away, we've backed away, and then we begin to ask the question, if that's me, can I still, does he still love me? Did I I miss the chance? Did I mess it up? But the reality is, is that Jesus went to Peter and he says, do you love me? And we know the story. The reason why he asked him three times was to to reaffirm his love for him because he denied him three times. And all he said was, was feed my sheep, tend my sheep. Basically, he says, then continue to serve. And finally, he ends saying, follow me. See, that's the answer. If you have slipped away, if you have begun to deny Jesus Christ, if you are struggling in that area, the answer is just follow him. Turn around. Does he, do you love him? Yes. And move forward. And let that fall behind you. Because there's no amount of turning away, there's no amount of falling away that would cause you, just like the others, to be disqualified for the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? And we'll end here this morning in John three sixteen through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I named this message Real Love, because I wanted to show you what real love looks like. And this scripture here says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Jesus gave up everything. He gave up his own life. He gave up comfort. He gave up, and he just pressed on because of his great love for us. He allowed himself, and I said that he allowed himself. The scripture says that at any time he could have called down an army of angels and stopped the whole thing, but he allowed himself to be tortured and crucified and killed because of his love for us, because that was the only thing that could make us right with God. The scripture says that the wages of sin is death, and the scripture says that all of us are sinners. Not a single one is exempt. And the reality is is that God is a just God, and sin has to be dealt with. It has to be paid for. If God were to turn his, his head away from sin and just ignore it, he would no longer be just and he would no longer be God. But instead of making each and every one of us pay for our own sins, he sent his son to pay for them for us. The greatest act of love that was ever committed was committed by Jesus Christ on that cross. And the greatest news is, is that all we have to do is believe. All we have to do is receive that free gift. I want you to know this morning that there's not a single person in this world that's going to hell because of their sins. Sin has been dealt with. The scripture says that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not have, or should not perish, but have eternal life. Another scripture says that while they were yet sinners, he died. Jesus died for everybody while sin was an issue. Way before people received him, way before people accepted him. Jesus died for the sin of the entire world. There is not a single person going to hell because of their sins. They're going to hell because they haven't received the free gift of eternal life that was purchased with the greatest act of love that was ever committed. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.